Hello and welcome to another live instalment of the Empire of the Cop podcast. Uh, with me here today, I've got Steve Carson, our very own Peter Kenny Jones, and I'll be your host, Farrell Keeling. A uh, bit of another disappointing result um, after game week two. Two, draw- two draws off the first two games, but a far more encouraging performance. We will be dissecting uh, that result very shortly. Uh, we just want to take a brief moment to just address uh, what well, our very own Peter Kenny Jones wrote a hugely interesting article about our midfield options uh, the other day. Um, a poll we conducted on the Proud of the Cop podcast found that most fans wanted Liverpool to sign another midfielder before the summer window closes. And Pete very boldly went and said, actually, you know what? No, we don't need one, um, which is an entirely fair point of view and opinion, one might have thought. Uh, but the, the reaction online you got, Pete, was quite uh, vitriolic, um, especially given... A lot of the focus seemed to be on, on, on a, a joking, tongue-in-cheek suggestion um, of, of Jay Spearing being our 14th choice midfielder, which, I mean, realistically, he would be uh, if, if we ever got to, to, to having such a horrifically bad injury crisis. I mean, we're talking nightmare proportions, you know, bin your season uh, kind of, <laughs> of injury crisis that has never been seen before. Uh, I, mean, I mean, Pete, I'm going to start with you first because I'm, I'm sure the rest of us uh, have words about it and have said words about it online in response to it. But, I mean, you're kind of a bit baffled uh, by the reaction you got to this. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it was a bit mad. Obviously, the... The the title of the article was you know ninety percent Liverpool fans wanted to sign a a new midfielder and I think you're wrong so that's probably setting myself up for ninety percent of the people I know or and or follow me or I follow on on Twitter I'm disagreeing with you so I did think I might get a few people speaking out but you know it was a it was a bit of a mad one I think that one sentence got taken out of context. I think it's had about 2,000 clicks or whatever it was on our substack. But I've definitely had more people who haven't read it who, who hate me and want me to die because of not reading the article because someone takes one sentence out of it, which I'm sure us today know and anyone else who's in a similar game, you know, that's, that, that is what it is. You now people don't read it and kick off. But, you know, it, it, was, it was a bit overwhelming for me. You know, I had a day, day and a half, two days of abuse, getting called words you don't want to be called online constantly. And, you know, I found each one funny, but no, I did say to me mates that were asking, you know, it, it did get a bit overwhelming and, you know, it wasn't something I particularly enjoyed and has put me off what to say stuff. But at the same time, you know, you can understand why people like the Pierce Morgans of the world just go and say something to wind people up. And I wasn't. I genuinely believe we don't need to sign a midfield that we've got enough quality and apparently that's enough for me to be hung drawn on quarters, literally, and castrated on the cop end, I was it was one of the comments I got. But, um, yeah, that's just what I thought, and it was a bit upsetting to see what people want to say to you. And, I, you know, um, I reckon I was about a 2 out of 10 bothered, and I think if you don't admit that you're 2 out of 10 bothered, then it becomes a 3, 4, 5, and gets worse. So, you know, I've, I've, I did have to talk about it with me mates and my family because it did get to me a bit, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people online who, who don't realise what they write and think it just gets to you or w- won't bother you. But it did when it's every time you look at your phone and I was just, I put it on mute and put it in a different room because it was getting to me. And I just thought, you know, it's mad that you could just have an opinion about a football team. Someone takes one sentence out of context and those type of messages come in. But it is what it is. I stand by it. Jay Spearing is the best 14th choice centre fielder in the league. And if you've got a problem, feel free to at me. Everyone else has. And um, we'll go from there. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I mean, Steve, you'll be very familiar uh, with the concept having worked uh, at Empire with myself and, you know, Pete, you, you've had, certainly had a taste of it with other articles you've written. I'm, I'm sure Max uh, Rudd would also agree. Um, but, the reaction we have just to random pieces, right? Even just transfer stories, and you know the comments you get online. You know, I, I almost stopped reading the comments now because I just think it's just horrific for your mental health. <laughs> uh, but you know, a lot of the time, it just seems people are writing these comments not realizing. You know, it, it, it's it's obvious, but there's actually a human being <laughs> behind the story writing the story for you. Um, you know, ultimately, an opinion's an opinion, and I think I've I've certainly seen far worse opinions online uh, not receive half the the amount of poor backlash. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, I mean, Steve, what were you what was going through your head when you were seeing this? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I remember noticing it and throwing it in, in the group chat that we've all got, and I was thinking, Christ, this is quite a strong reaction to 
you know, because, you know, from from our side of things, obviously, we write loads of articles, uh, have written loads of articles. And, you know, we, we know that it's not a case of just putting together a thumbnail and putting together a, a, a catchy headline or something like that. I mean, that is part of it. You do want it to be a bit of a punchy headline. I think, I think obviously, Pete done a good job there because he's, he's called people out and then it's just kind of gone, right, now read this thing. Um, and we've experienced it before. Loads of people in the industry have experienced it before. People will just see the headline, the thumbnail, and in Pete's case, they'll see a line from like this lengthy article about why we might not, you know, need a midfield option. At the end of the day, this is an opinion. Um, you know, we, we do have a few de- decent midfield options. It wouldn't hurt to have a midfielder, of course, but it's it's a, you know a normal opinion to say, you know, I don't really need a midfielder. You know, some people have certainly changed their tune after seeing Harvey Elliott performing so well lately. Um, but yeah, the, the, that one line of, of you know, Jay Spearing being the 14th choice, obviously tongue-in-cheek. Um, I don't think technically he can actually play for the first team unless we registered him, which we haven't done. I don't think the club would intend to do. Um, but, but this is it. People just will see something in an article like that They'll screenshot it, throw it on the internet, and then all of a sudden people think uh, Pete sat down and wrote a 2,000-word article on why Jay Spearin should be the new captain. And no, he's came out and said, oh, you know, jokingly, we've got Jay Spearin if it all goes a little bit, you know, tits up. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a symptom of just the state of the internet and, and social media. It's just people are just very quick to jump at things and throw their opinion before thinking about it, you know, at the end of the day, for Pete to form the opinion that he has and for anyone that writes, you know, a well-thought-out um, opinion piece uh, like that for people to read, you know, they sit down, they form their ideas, they write this piece together, and then they put it out there to say, right, here's this thing, let's have a conversation. And then, you know, unfortunately, because of the way social media is set up and there's not really much help from the operators of social media platforms, it often just descends into just flinging shit at each other. And, you know, um, that's what happened. It was good to see Pete take it on the chin, though, because um, temporarily he changed his profile picture on Twitter to Jay Spearing, which made me laugh. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think I think Pete handled it very well, of course. Um, you know, he's got thick skin. He's been doing this kind of thing for a little while now. But, yeah, it's just one of them things for people who are perpetually online. It's just, thankfully, you know, um, a lot of people can, can brush it off, but, you know, it's one of those things where ideally it wouldn't happen and certainly not to the extent that we saw with P anyway. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hi, hi to Craig Daniels back uh, from Brighton, uh, wording specifically Liverpool and Liverpool uh, respectively. Um, but yes, just, just one. I mean, it, it's a bizarre point ultimately because we're, we're, the goal is we're putting out content ultimately for people to consume hopefully to enjoy and to debate, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, being challenged on an opinion is fine, but you know, the, 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 the list, the endless list of horrific insults um, is, I mean, just, there's just no place. There's no place for it. And ultimately, you know, if you don't like the content, don't subscribe, don't read it, don't follow. You don't have to you know, sully your reading experience. If you feel that strongly about what was written, um, but maybe that's, that's just, us um for the most part i think certainly a lot of people who do follow uh, empire's content have been absolutely fantastic uh, with their replies um and you know i think it makes the internet somewhat more bearable to have them around um, i'm just going to move on to palace because i can feel like I'm, I'm sure you boys are the same feeling almost getting increasingly angry just thinking about it um another draw um but a far more encouraging performance i have to say pete you know it was night and day you know full of there was almost a sense of feeling like we could walk there and just get a result. Um, but with Palace, you know, we were that first half an hour of action, we were just absolutely, I mean, phenomenal. I, I'm absolutely astounded the result came as, as it did because we had just so many chances there to, to really, you know, put, put the tie away uh, before we even got to the second half. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's the, the old adage, there's never a bad time to score a goal, isn't there? But I think in both the first two games of the season, we've we've been hit by goals that have just really, you know, just stopped us in our tracks. Basically, you know that I think that Fulham game of the Van Dijk, Mitrovic challenge penalty, whatever you think of it, if that doesn't go in, I think we win that game three four one. The way we were playing and that goal was perfectly timed for Fulham. 
And then the same one for, for Palace, we started so well. And that gold was just a proper sucker punch for us. And then again, having Nunes get the red cards, which I'm sure we'll touch on, but I just feel at the time of that, in the second half, it took us again about 5, 10, 15 minutes to get going again. And just You don't have that time in the game. And of course, we, um, we see that fixture list before the season, you think six points there, you know, good, good start to the season, and that's happened. So, you know, it's the kick up the backside we need, but at the same time, we've got so many injury problems, and now we've got the suspension problem of Nunes. You know, it, it is feels like they just keep two steps back before we can make one forward already, but, you know, touch woods, this is the worst injuries get, this is the worst the, the running results get, and, you know, how we played in the first 30 minutes against Palace and probably the last 30 minutes against Fulham, barring the goal, you know, those performances will get us three points most weeks and we've just been desperately unlucky, as I said, with just sucker punches that have, have proper taken the wind out of our sails. So, you know, hopefully what better place than United to get it on track. But, yeah, we started well, finished well. It was just that little bit out of a side of half-time that, that killed us, didn't it, really? I mean, you mentioned Nunes. I'm, I'm, let's just, let's just drive, dive straight into the red card. I, I think we can all agree um, it was pretty much deserved it's just a just such a shame <laughs> it was Tierney uh, to do the sending off you, you almost sort of got a sense that he was like oh yes brilliant <laughs> finally a chance to just send off a Liverpool player without any sort of backlash um but I mean Steve if you I think that surprised me you think that he's obviously coming from the Uruguayan leagues and he must have put up with far worse uh, than the, the, the taunting he received from uh, Joachim uh, Anderson um but just I mean, an absolutely crazy moment. Do you are you worried about this at all? Are you very much sort of assured that this will be the last time it ever happened? It ever happens, rather. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's one of them things where it's like ingrained in his nature or anything like that. I think it is just you know one of what it's just one of those things that's happened. He's a young lad. He's in a new you know completely new environment, and you know he's still adjusting. And you know heat of the moment and all that. These things happen. I mean. I, I, not to sort of take any blame away from from Darwin, I, I do think it is uh, it is a red card. He should have got sent off for it because of the way he reacted. At the end of the day, elite footballers just brushed it off. But again, he is young, new atmosphere for him. All that. Um, I do think Anderson did make the most of it. Like I've, I, in the moment, I thought, oh God, you know, he's gone for it there. That's that that, that looks terrible. Uh, and then obviously just watch the rest of the game and then so on and so forth. But then I've seen replays since. And to be honest, it just looks like Darwin goes to square up to Anderson and just the way it sort of happens, it kind of looks like he's headbutted him as well. I don't really know what the intention is, but to me, I think he's just gone to square up, which again, he shouldn't have done anyway. So, you know, deserve red card, you know, slap on the wrist for him. Nobody is going to be, you know, more disappointed in him than himself and also Jurgen Klopp, you know, no no doubt in my mind. He'll have sat down with Klopp and they'll have, you know, ironed these things out. Obviously, he's already came out on social media to apologise to the fans, which, you know, he doesn't really need to do, but it's a nice gesture. You know, it, it shows that, you know, there's a good lad in there and, you know, he's a quality player. And, there's, you know, potentially his ego might have been a little bit massaged by scoring, you know, four, the four goals in one game in pre-season. And, you know, he started off pretty well and he might just feel a bit untouchable. Again, he's a young lad. You know, these things can happen. At least he's made, you said this on, on Twitter, actually, Farrell, at least he's made the mistake now then toward the end of the season because if we had three games to go and he got himself a red card and we were without our main striker who hopefully by the end of the season you know will have been a good number of goals that could have been massive for us um, but at the minute we're still trying to find our feet there's going to be loads of twists and turns in this season with the Winter World Cup you know I'm not worried at all about the team I'm not worried about Darwin there's a few teeth and problems but you know you get that with any player you know I'm I'm not worried at all he's 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 on his way to be world-class. I really think that. And, you know, I think he's a special player. You know, Liverpool don't sign, um, you know, players for that kind of money without vetting them properly. So, you know, I think Darwin is going to be a gem for us going forward. No, absolutely. I think, you know, obviously, like we've all said, we'd rather this hadn't happened at all. Um, It's a lesson he'll have to take on board because, you know, you kind of think going forward, every single Premier League manager is going to be going, get in his head see what you can get out of him, get in his head. Um, and obviously it's going to be on on him to kind of shrug that off and prove everyone wrong. Um, but again, you know, 
as you mentioned, it would be far better just to have this happen now if it's going to happen rather than, you know, with the margins we're looking at generally in terms of how the Premier League has been decided. Um, you want your top, well, ideally your top striker available for your last stretch of games. So hopefully a lesson uh, well learned and quickly learned uh, by the time he comes uh, back. There's a few sort of selection conundrums, of course, Klopp's going to have uh, as a result. Now, we know Bobby Firmino will be back available uh, for the clash at Old Trafford. That comes from Neil Jones at goal. Um, so that sorts one sort of big sort of absence there in, in, in the centre-forward role. Um, but we'll come to that shortly, because obviously we also want to kind of talk about uh, Fabinho's form and what that means potentially for how Klopp lines up uh, for the visit to Manchester. Um, but recently we've heard reports, of course, about Naby Keita's contract. Um, varying reports, it has to be said. Um, Sky Germany, specifically Florian, Florian Plattenberg, apologies if I butchered uh, the pronunciation, um, I, I said that Keita's somewhat unhappy with the situation at Liverpool and that contract talks have come to a grounding halt, uh, which does raise certain questions about how Liverpool react so close to the end of the window. Um, there's suspicions, suspicions have been certainly supplied uh, by Neil Jones again, that Liverpool will not sell at this stage the window, Pete, which is certainly well advised, you'd have to say, given, you know, the club have sort of struggled to bring in the kind of quality uh, additions. You know, Aurelien Tuchemeni has gone to Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham, there have been inquiries, but he's just not going to move this summer. Understandably, they've, uh, Dortmund have sold Erling Haaland. We'd be absolutely insane. I mean, we posed this as a poll again, the, the dodgy poll on Empire, the podcast, uh, about whether fans would be prepared to see Kaita go. You know, I, I kind of put that up assuming, well, no. You know, if fans want us to bring in a midfielder, surely seeing one go out the exit door is wouldn't make any wouldn't yeah, match up with that logic. Um, but obviously, uh, the opposite uh, was true, much much to my surprise. But wh- where do you stand on all that? Yeah, well, I think you know it's against our style, isn't it, to be chasing our tails at this time of the season and you know, in the transfer window in general. Really, I think this decision about midfielder was made probably April time. You know, outside of any of our knowledge. James Milner's contract was getting negotiated. There was a decision for Oxley Chamberlain to stay. Keita looked like they were they were trying to offer him a contract. That was the decision made. You know, it would have been easier this summer to say, you know, buy to Milner, try and sell Chamberlain, try and sell Keita. They've obviously made a decision. We keep two and, and let Oxley Chamberlain go. We're not gonna now, you know, turn back. It does seem strange that there hasn't been a contract signed. Of course, you never know what's going on, but if we, we believe it, the Keita maybe isn't keen. You know, it's the choice to enter your cell and get someone in. Which it's all a bit last minute, isn't it? And Klopp's always said, you know, we don't need a midfielder, we need the midfielder, and we haven't found the one we want. Or, you know, we all hope or pray or think at least that it's Jude Bellingham, but we don't know what the decision is. That midfielder that we want isn't available right now. You don't let another one go. As you said in that poll, you know, everyone's desperate to get another midfielder in, why would we let go of Naby Keita now with several weeks to go without a clear target in line? We're not going to get you Bellingham again if he is to man, but it looks like it. So what what is the point? What, why would you let him go? I'm happy for him to stay. I don't I don't obviously we don't know personally what he's like, but I don't think he's the type of player who's gonna spit his dummy out and he's gonna play and he'll give us hundred percent and maybe we give him a new contract in January, maybe we sell him then or maybe he goes in the summer. But I do think this summer's gonna be when the Next summer, sorry, it's going to be when the, the midfield transfers happen, not right now with, you know, we're talking days left of this window. I mean, you're speaking about the contract, uh, again, according to Goal, uh, it's a four-year contract uh, the club wants to offer Naby Kaya to. He's 27 years old, we take him to 31. It's a pretty reasonable age uh, for a midfielder, especially if you look at sort of a lot of the elite uh, midfielders in that sort of age group, you know, you think peak years pretty much covers that. Um, it, it, it's it's an ideal contract. And obviously he did prove to a certain extent last year that he is capable of delivering quality seasons if he can manage his injuries and build on consistency. Um, so there is that possibility to consider. And I see some of the reaction online has been, unsurprisingly, uh, vitriolic in some quarters uh, around Naby Keita and his future in Liverpool. Uh, now, the, the thing is, obviously... And rightly, injuries have been brought up. Consistency prior to the last campaign has been brought up. But you're looking at a player that is, I'd argue, fundamentally difficult to replace in terms of 
if you're looking at the sort of the left left side of the midfield, you're thinking Curtis Jones, Thiago Alcantara, and Naby Keita are your sort of bolt-ons for that specific role. Now you're looking sort of. I mean, we had a discussion about this um, on our group chat about. Um, Thiago specifically, and obviously he is in that very much in that elite bracket of midfielders. Very few that are comparable to his quality, but the drop off uh, from Thiago to Kaita is less significant than the drop off to Curtis Jones. As as much as we all agree, I think that Curtis does have bags of potential that we can potentially unearth. Um, whilst that would then obviously lend more time for Curtis Jones to develop, uh, get in minutes, uh, given Thiago's own injury record. It, I think my concern, obviously, if we get rid of Kaita at this stage, there is that drop-off in quality to consider, but also in terms of the roles Kaita does for the squad because he's quite tactically moldable. Um, he's, he's brilliant in terms of progressing the play, his ball carrying, um, amongst another range of skills. Obviously, is is pressing in the final third. There's a lot that he does for the club that, that isn't necessarily highlighted in terms of you know raw goals and assists as it were, but, you know, as we're very familiar with in terms of a Liverpool midfield, the, the modus sort of operandi isn't sort of goals and assists mainly, isn't it? It's, you know, his role that he had at Leipzig during his days in the Bundesliga is, isn't quite the same. And I think a lot of fans are certainly very much living in the past and living in uh, the old reality of the highlights reels that we all sort of soaked in uh, during his Bundesliga days. Yeah, I mean, first things first is that Pete spoke there for nearly two minutes and didn't mention that Jay Spearing <laughs> could play for Liverpool. So I don't know, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, Twitter, Twitter told me that he wanted him on the bench. So I mean, I, I don't know what Pete's on about there. I've got to say, but um, you know, but moving on from the chat about Jay Spearing playing for Liverpool in 2022, um, yeah, the thing about Naby Keita is 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 like you say. If we were to get rid of him, that drop off to the, to, to to our options is just it, it is a bit of a jump. Like with all due respect to Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott, fantastic young players, but there, there is that significant drop, and it, it's it's painful to compare ourselves to Manchester City, but we have to because that's the level that we're playing at. Their bench is vastly superior, and we all know why their bench is vastly superior. But that drop off that we've got, uh, if Keita was to leave. Yeah, it, it is significant. There's there's absolutely no chance that Keita would still be at Liverpool if he was not a world-class footballer, and that's exactly what he is. On his day, he's a world-class footballer. Not on his day, he's a very, very good midfielder, which is absolutely fine. Naby Keita, you know, like you said, uh, Farrell, he, he's a bit of a divisive figure. Uh, I think people are expecting him to cut. He, don't forget, he's wearing that iconic number eight shirt, which does carry a little bit of weight. I think some people are expecting him to just come in and play a bit like Gerard, which was a bit more of his role at Leipzig. He would be that explosive player from midfield. But for Liverpool, he's a bit more of a tricky player in the middle of the park that recycles possession, and he's very good at doing it. Um, yeah, the, the talk the talk over in Germany about the you know Keita is upset and wants to leave. Um, if that's true, then you know fair enough. You know I'm sure we'll deal with it behind closed doors, very professionally. And if need be, the player will move on. But you know, like Neil Jones at goal said, and you know this is a source that we know is very good. Liverpool are hopeful of agreeing a new contract and will not let him leave at this late stage. Um, which, you know, is true to the way we are. Like Pete said, um, we wouldn't really be caught in a position like this. Um, Naby Keita is obviously the captain of Guinea, you know, so he's a he's a respected uh, player, uh, respected uh, in the way that he sort of carries himself as well, off the pitch as well as on the pitch, obviously. So you wouldn't expect him, like Pete said, to, you know, throw his toys out the pram and demand to leave and stuff like that. You know, he's he's a professional, very good player. Hopefully he sticks around. If he does move on, which you would think that if he's expressed that now, you're at the point where, listen, you know, you've been here for X amount of years. It's going to be impossible to replace you in this window. Can you give us a bit more time? You know, he's a professional. You know, he's worked with Jürgen Klopp. He knows the system. It's not going to be the worst case scenario for him to stick around. He gets game time. He might He might want to be first name on the team sheet. Obviously, his injury record does make that a bit difficult. And also, his, his up and down uh, form makes that a little bit difficult as well, especially when you've got the likes of the captain, um, 
Thiago and Fabinho in the mix, it's going to be hard to say, yeah, okay, you can you can start every single week, you know, especially when you've got to manage a player through injuries like we have done with Joel Matip. So there's a lot of nuance to it. It, it is it's not as simple as just one in one out for for Liverpool in regards to Naby Keita. But yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned in the group chat that you mentioned, we, you know, we, we speak uh, often throughout the week. Um, we are lacking that sort of drop off in between the first team. And like the youngsters, there is that sort of missing. I, I liken that mystery player to Emre Jan. You know, you've got that player where they come in, they do a job, and they'd probably be like, okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy enough being sort of second fiddle at Liverpool. If Keita wants to push for more, ultimately he's got to do the talking on the pitch. Um, some would argue he already has done that. I think you know he's, he's definitely shown flashes over the years that that is what he's capable of. But Liverpool has never been a team of eleven players. It's always been a team that is is beyond that. There's, there's always at least five players on the bench who could come into the first uh, starting eleven at any time and we wouldn't drop off. That's the way Klopp does his teams. He always has done back at Dortmund as well. So. You know, for me, it'd be a disappointing thing to see him go. And I think there's still big ifs over whether this is all true, not to, you know, throw dirt at Sky Germany. But at the end of the day, I'm more inclined to listen to Neil Jones at goal. He's been, you know, spot on with everything over over years and years of, of, of great work. So, you know, if, 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 if that line from him is that, you know, Naby's going nowhere, then I'll sleep okay tonight. You know, thinking Naby's going to be a Liverpool player in a month's time, absolutely fine. I mean, Neil Jones has directly contradicted uh, that report from Sky Germany. Um, he did come out and say, well, the relations between Liverpool and um, Naby's agency is pretty, remains pretty solid. And obviously there were face-to-face talks um, earlier in the month in Mallorca um, as to how well they went. We can only speculate, um, but if the relations are still strong, you know, I think we'd have to assume that there's still a possibility at the least of a contract extension uh, being agreed before the next summer window or at the very least um, you'd have to think we'll follow the blueprint in terms of handling expiring contracts as we have previously with Emrishan, as we have previously with Jorginho Wijnaldum you know we'll, we'll, we'll take their last year and then bid them a, a, a heartfelt farewell I think after their contributions and I think if you know if Kaiser does go at the end of the, end of the next season it'd be a this season, beg your pardon, it will be a massive, massive shame, especially if he does replicate his form uh, from the last term. Uh, but we'll see how that all fares. Uh, it's very difficult to sort of move away from Liverpool and still enjoy the same level of success. The grass is not always greener on the other side. That goes for the vast majority of players that have left Liverpool under the Jurgen Klopp era. Um, but moving on, of course, we've got another big big game to look forward to um, and that is of course against Manchester United at Old Trafford next Monday. Now the big question mark of course over the tie is how Jurgen Klopp will set up because the reality is we can probably not expect the same level of domination at Old Trafford as we enjoyed last season. I mean obviously collectively I think we scored nine goals without reply across uh, the home and away fixtures um, United's form is a bit dismal. You know, there's the 4 0 defeats uh, to Brentford to consider. Um, but, you know, you, you think generally speaking, United will up their game against Liverpool and we'll see um, a far more aggressive display um, on, on their home turf. Um, I just want to touch on something quickly, Pete, because obviously, beyond Nunez's suspension, uh, which will take him for three games, including the Old Trafford visit. We have to also consider Fabinho's form. Who's, I mean, he looks like a player still trying to play himself into form. He's, he's been far from his sparkling best. And in, in, in that holding role, which obviously bears a lot of significance uh, for Liverpool's midfield, as well as the back line, which is Shields, do we need to seriously consider potentially changing our operator there? You know, Henderson has some experience and has performed arguably better in the number six role compared to the number eight role of late. I know it's quite controversial, of course, because on his day, Fabinho is arguably incomparable um, to other holding midfielders on the planet. You know, there are arguments, of course, to be made for the likes of uh, Manchester City's Rodri, but it's a very elite bracket he's in at, at least. But the form isn't quite there. It's a, it's a big game, not just in the sense of the occasion, the opponent's the location, uh, but also very much the fact that we're going in and if United win this, they go above us. 
if you know and ultimately we will go into a third game without having won a game which is absolutely inconceivable uh, coming off the back of a campaign where we came so close uh, to a quadruple haul of silverware a lot there to unpack i i under, i appreciate uh, but where do you stand on all that yeah, well, firstly, thanks for that. Thanks for giving me the let's drop for being your know, opinions on Henderson. <laughs> thanks for that. Um, and I've got to be honest, and <laughs> here we go again. I um, I came up the match on, on Monday, and I said to me to me dad, who were listening to players, I thought Fabinho played quite well, and I've seen the the backlash, and I've saw obviously a few of the stats, but you know, bear in mind that when Nunes went off, you know, not long after Klopp went for two in midfield. And Fabinho's playing a two man against you know three men around him, decent team. I looked, I looked at him at one point, and I'm not sure if he's picked up the telly or not. But you know, he had his, his arms and his legs, and he's breathing heavily. You know, he put so much effort in the other day, and I just think he had a massive job ahead of him. It hasn't gone the way we wanted the last few games, but you know, just, there's no question at all for me. You know, Fabinho, I think is the the one midfielder we can all agree on. But I think you know people are just picking the next player that we all need to start hating. You know, it looks like he's been he's the flavour of the month, but you know the bad flavour of the month maybe when we, we pick our next one. But yeah, Fabinho for me, I wouldn't change him for anyone in the world. He plays every game. He's the first name in the just midfield for me. I think just the other two you debate about even. With Henderson, you know, again, people seem to not like him. I think, you know, he's our captain. He plays great most weeks. He was great when he came on against Palace. And we've got Thiago, and they're all hard. But I just think Fabinho, the best midfield that we've got quite comfortably. And he plays every game for me, no matter what. You know, if he has to play through it, possibly. But, you know, against United, you don't, be, you don't change that up at all. You play him in there. And I'd never be upset to see Henderson fill in, but I don't really want it to be in terms of fitness or injury. Because Fabinho was that good, and yeah, don't start saying that we're if we don't win United, go above us. Don't don't put that one on me. But we'll um, a draw's fine, and the unbeaten season's on. And the win we kick started. Don't worry, we're still invincible. Two games in, and um, why not? Why not go all the way? So before I give me prediction, yeah, shut up, Farrell. Fabinho's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. I have to say, I do feel a bit bad now after uh, throwing all those questions your way, but you bravely fended them all off. So well done, you. Uh, Steve, I'm going to give you a direct chance to respond uh, to that. Do you feel the same about Fabinho or are there any sort of doubts creeping in your mind? Um, You know, here at Empire, we certainly do love our controversial opinions. No, I agree. Uh, Yeah, I'm afraid there's nothing, nothing too spicy here. I completely agree with Pete Fabinho is... You know, one of the best holding midfielders in the world, one of the best midfielders in the world, generally speaking, uh, on his day, probably the best. Uh, like you said, Farley, you've got Rodri and there's also players like Casemiro to consider. But, you know, when you're talking about a player being in that bracket, obviously you've made it. You've got one of the best holding midfielders in the world. Don't worry about if they're, you know, a, a, a smidgen better than Casemiro. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. Those, you know, these players are unbelievable. And yeah, I mean, like Pete said, you know, I think it is just a case of people are just looking for the scapegoat. And, you know, the, the whole team have been, you know, they, they've been underperforming slightly. They've been a little bit sloppy, but, you know, they've shown flashes. And don't forget last season was, was a slog for them. You know, they played every single game that they could available to them, which doesn't happen to to um, every team every year. You know, these players went through it. Um, so I'm not too surprised to see us a little bit lagging, but... I'm not worried. I'm certainly not worried about Fabinho. I don't. I don't think there's any question marks over his position in the team. Um, you know, midfield over the last few years, uh, I still think it is the case. It's it's the weakest part in our team. And to say that, I am saying that the defence is a ten, the attack is a ten, and the midfield is a nine. Um, so it's it is only a very slight drop off, and we're already speaking from a very privileged position, I should add. But yeah, I'm not worried at all about Fabinho. You know, you get these weeks to his. You know, I think it was last season, might have even been the season before, could have been both. But there's a few weeks where Robbo didn't look 100% and people were saying, oh, maybe Simakas should start. And it's like, I, I love Simakas, you know, best backup left back in the league as far as I'm concerned. But we're talking about Andy Robertson, you know, he's going to have some weeks where he's not 100%. These players are not robots at the end of the day. That You're going to feel a little bit up, a little bit down. Robbo... On his day, you know, and in my opinion, the best left back in the world. Fabinho, on his day, and in my opinion, the best holding midfielder in the world. 
if he's tired, yeah, bring Henderson in, like Pete said, you know, fitness concerns, bring in Henderson instead of Fabinho in that holding role and play somebody else in uh, Henderson's number eight position. But yeah, there's, there's absolutely no question marks over Fabinho. Well, you know, we've got to, we've got to back our own. I think that's has to has to be said. Um, well, I think that's a place as any to, to wrap it up. Uh, just quickly uh, before we uh, move on and uh, finish the podcast, can I get some score lines, please? How are we feeling about the visits Old Trafford? Uh, anyone bold enough, Pete? You know, you do love your massive score lines. Are you going for another five nil at Old Trafford, or slightly more cautious? Well, we've. Um... We haven't started great, have we? we? Haven't scored too many goals, missing our main goal scorer. Um, so I don't think it'll be five now again. I'll go for four this time. Shall I get another hat trick? And um, unfortunately, we haven't got the. I want someone off the bench. That's the worry up front, isn't it? You know, we're probably gonna have to play all three, all of them, or the whole game, or Harvey Elliott's gonna be in the mix again. So. I'd like to see, you know, I think it's the type of game where you bring some off the bench. So I think maybe it could be one for Carvalho to pop up with. So I want to say 4 0, Salah Hattrick, and Carvalho gets the fourth near the end and we mix it up a bit. So yeah, I'm holding back a bit. I'm not as positive as I was last year, but you know, let's get this season started. So how about, how about you, Steve? I reckon caution is calling. I like the Carvalho shout. Uh, I was thinking a player off the bench will be something for us. And, you know, we are sort of begging for that sort of like Origi type character to now make themselves known. Um, yeah, you know, Carvalho off the bench seems like a great shout to me. So I do fancy him to get that goal, basically carbon copy of what Pete said there in terms of Carvalho. But um, no, I, I'm, if you're United at the end of the day, looking at Liverpool, how do you avoid defeat is, is, is the way that I think they're going to approach it. And I can see them, even though, you know, Ten Hag likes to play that sort of attractive football, I think he's going to be extremely defensive and he's going to try and get sort of something on the break. I mean, Zaha is a prime example. I could see Ronaldo doing a carbon copy of that through and then Ronaldo's off one-on-one with Alisson. I could see something like that going down and it'll all be about him. But I fancy us to win. Um the game 3-1. I'm going to say 3-1. Uh, no hat-tricks, I'm afraid, but um, I fancy 3-1. Big performance from Sally yet again. Oh, nice one. I, I, think, I think I'm going to be the cautious one here. I'm going to go for a 2-1. A, a, a I, I think, yeah, I, I was mulling this over, but I, I do think we'll, uh, off the back of that performance against Crystal Palace, I think if we go there again, and uh, if you look at sort of the XG sort of stats, and you know, you have to be sort of wary of this, um, to a certain extent, but you, you do think on the law of averages, there will come a day when those goals, the, those goals come through. Um, and hopefully that day will be Monday when we face Manchester United at Old Trafford against new manager Eric Ten Hag against Jurgen Klopp. Hopefully we'll see a big, big, big scoreline. Uh, I'll certainly be delighted to see another 5 and again at Old Trafford. Another historic victory to round off the start of the week. Um, this has been the Empire of the Cop podcast. You've seen Steve Carlson, our very own Peter Kenny Jones, and I've been your host, Farrell Keeling. You can find this latest episode of the Empire of the Cop podcast on our Apple Podcasts, our Pocket Casts, YouTube, and of course our Substack at empirethecop.substack.com. And of course, when you find this published episode out there, check out our cheeky little interview with Stretty News' editor, Dale O'Donnell, to get his thoughts about the upcoming clash against Manchester United. Catch us soon. And welcome back to the Empire of the Cop podcast. And here we have the Stretty uh, editor himself, Dale O'Donnell, uh, to walk us through the upcoming clash of Manchester United at Old Trafford. Last time around, Liverpool recorded a historic 5-0 victory at Old Trafford. Uh, this time, however, I imagine there would be slightly less confidence about a similar result occurring on the day, given the form Liverpool have experienced. But, I mean, but Dale, I mean, United's form... Likewise, has been a bit uh, iffy, uh, to say the least. Uh, what have you sort of made so far of United's start under Eric Ten Hag? Well, there was, there was lots of optimism, really, after the pre-season, because I know you can't take too much from that, but there was early signs that the style of play that Ten Hag wanted to come with, that we were kind of seeing that. And I think, to be honest, I was kind of drawing parallels a little bit in the early days of Jorgen Klopp at Liverpool and the kind of the problems that he faced. And I was kind of stressing that, this won't happen overnight. This this will be a this will take time. And with Klopp, the first year, maybe two, maybe three, 
it took him time to kind of weed out the players that weren't going to suit the way that he wanted Liverpool to play and, and to get in the players that were going to carry out the duties he wanted. And you're going to get that with United if they stick with Ten Hag. But I think since the season started, I've been really disappointed. I think the mood has been absolutely flattened by the return of Cristiano Ronaldo, if I'm honest, um, which has really left me disappointed. And I think you can see that on the pitch, the players just look dumbfounded. Whereas a few weeks ago on pre-season, they, it, it was clear they knew what they were trying to do. But all of a sudden, with Ronaldo back on the pitch, I think he's had to flatten the mood, to be honest. Yeah, and just getting into the, the form of certain players on the pitch, actually. Um, uh, obviously, Harry Maguire is a big talking point, but you know, there's been times as well where David De Gea has been in a similar sort of conversation and you know, lacking confidence, that kind of thing. Um and this is the right time to do it after, obviously, the dire performance against uh, Brentford. Um, you know, looking at David De Gea and looking at Harry Maguire, you know, do you think there might be a lack of confidence from their teammates in those two players? I think that's pretty evident to see. I think in De Gea, that was actually first drawn to my attention back in the 2018 World Cup with Spain. Uh, I thought it was fairly clear that the defence in front of them just were not one bit confident in him. And you're starting to see that since then really kind of happen at United. Um, this team has been asked now to play out from the back. And it's interesting you pointed out those two players because with De Gea, it's very difficult to play out from the back. You'll see Liverpool on, on Monday night. Uh, they'll do what every other team does against us. We're probably the easiest team to play against in the league, um, sadly. But what, what teams do is they press us really high. They try and stop us from playing out from the back, knowing that there's always a mistake in De Gea. And it's quite easy to win the ball back. Um, that's a huge problem. With De Gea also, he's never quite brave on his line. Um, coming off his line from corners, that's always been an issue. And it's quite interesting that this is a goalkeeper who I argued, and I don't think you can dispute it, that a few years ago he was the best goalkeeper in the world. But it's savage to think that because his overall game is lacking in so many departments. He's a fantastic shot stopper. Is that enough to make you the best goalkeeper in the world? It's not nowadays. It certainly isn't nowadays. You need a lot more in your locker. And I think he has been a great servant to Manchester United, um, a great goalkeeper. But I think right now, with what's been asked to the team, he's he's a problem. And I actually reckon you're going to see something similar to what happened with City and, and Joe Hart, Guardiola. He'll, 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 he'll push him out eventually, um, I think. But with Maguire as well, just to touch on him, Look, he's a player that I went in really heavy on last season with our coverage and straight news, and I kind of weaned it back a small bit because I'm not sure if you, you probably don't know this now with the Empire of the Cup because Liverpool are doing fantastic in recent years. But when, when, when people online start picking on a player that isn't playing well, it, becomes, it gets to a stage where it becomes a bit like a witch hunt and you're starting to think that what I'm putting out there. Is that any benefit to these players that we're trying to support? Um, and Harry Maguire, I think, really falls under that category because when he came to Manchester United at first under Oli, we were a counter-attacking team. Liverpool fans would probably joke about that. But this was a team that had to set up that way. And Harry Maguire was perfect for that kind of football. You could argue De Gea was, was, was perfect for that as well. Um, and now, with over time, Oli tried to change that. And those flaws in Maguire's game became even more evident. So maybe he's not a defender that suits this team. But I do wean back a small bit on criticising him because he is a very good defender. He can play out from the back. But when you're playing a high line, his lack of pace is, um, is detrimental. No, just I'll jump, jump in quickly before Pete gets his question. And just to uh, return your point about Harry Maguire, I mean, we've had a similar sort of situation. I think uh, topically uh, with Naby Keita, um, obviously th- there are fair criticisms, his injury record, a lack of consistency, but then you have to be fair and consider, well, the season he had, uh, his last season he had with us um, was was by far his best and certainly the numbers uh, back that up to a certain degree. Um, so, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think there are certain scapegoats, if you will, um, and I, th- I think on, on our side, Naby Keita is often the one targeted as a result yeah, just 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 on that because I'm not I'm not too sure what it's like with the whole Liverpool online community, but it, it's certainly the case with United that we have some not all fan channels, just we have maybe one or two that um that, that, that profit from this. 
a profit from from picking on players and you know really going extreme with some of their views and it's something that I think is popping up with other fan base we've seen it with Arsenal um with other fan channels and it's just so toxic and I think as an edit editor of, of a Manchester United website I think what I'm trying to do is is to realize that we actually should be supporting these players whether they're shit or not you know you know what's the point in really getting jumping down their throats and and adding to what you see on social media it's just unnecessary and I, and I understand that people are making money from it but it's just kind of a sellout approach if you ask me as a, as a fan of a football club I mean there's a balance to it though isn't it I think I think it's it's incumbent upon us to fairly you know call a spade yeah. a spade when we see it um but you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, as you've rightly pointed out, we are fan channels. Um, you know, even though we are writing journalistically, we are serving the fan base. Yeah. Um, and realistically, the fan base should be serving the players uh, for the most part, you know, because ultimately we all want to see. I'm, I'm, I'm sure if you asked any sane United fan, you'd want to see Harry Maguire play well. Nobody wants a self-fulfilling prophecy. You, yeah. you want him to, to perform week in week out you know criticize when there is a bad performance but realistically you you'd love to you would absolutely love uh, for harry Maguire to be your starting center half week in week out year upon year under eric ten Hag, and completely turn people's perceptions of him around absolutely i put my hands up and i say he's a terrible captain he's a terrible manchester United captain but like you know i have to say it as it is absolutely but the way you portray that message is is, is really really important um, and the other side of it too is the fan network. We're all trying to kind of build connections and, and contacts, and that you have to show respect. So a lot of journalists out there with mainstream media, and you look at their social media, uh, and they don't show respect to these people at all. Um, the footballers look up to them. We always have, you know what I mean? It's um, they're, they're people we we idolise since we're kids. Maybe we shouldn't, but that's been a football fan. Anyway, I've I've hogged enough of the question time. Over, over to you, Pete. Ah uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, quick question. The internet's killing me a bit here, sorry. Just the game, obviously, this weekend is uh, Old Trafford. I keep hearing a lot of stuff from Man United fans, and again, it might, you know, you've said there's toxic people online. But what I want to know is we keep hearing that it's falling apart, the ground. Speaking as an outsider, as much as I don't like Man United, is the ground that bad? And can you explain to us what the Glazers are doing wrong in terms of like the infrastructure around Man United and specifically Old Trafford? What what's going wrong? Basically, is is what I'd like to know from someone from the inside. When the Glazers came in two thousand and five, there was a lot of money put away to to do up a, a section of the ground. And that money over the years went missing with the ground not being touched. Um, and if if you're going to the game on Monday night, you, if you look at it, this was a stadium. Back the early noughties, that was considered the, the state-of-the-art football stadium in, in England, if not Europe. And you go across Europe now, or go across the Premier League or even lower divisions, it looks like something that's just that hasn't been touched, like I said, in over 20 years. Um, it's an absolute state. There's, there's pictures online this week of them doing a paint job and just one guy with a roller. And he's got a he's got a big, big job on his hands. He's obviously being paid by the hour and he's quite smart about it. But um, yeah, there's they, no interest in doing anything. There's a leak in the in one of the tiers, and it's been leaking for the past I think three to four seasons. So if you're standing underneath that and it's raining, you need an umbrella. Um, so it's not and it's not the only leak at Old Stratford, Let me tell you. <laughs> just just one one last question before we um, call it a, a day ahead of the United clash, Dale. Um, bit bit of a sort of. Maybe slightly controversial one. Don't want to dig in the knife too deep here, but obviously there's been a lot of outcry um, from the fans against the Glazers for you know plenty of good reasons. Of course, we've our own sort of um, difficult experiences with, with American owners. Um, but why why is there such a strong sort of outcry from from fans sort of clamouring for the Glazers to pull their wallet out? Um, you know, obviously they have. I mean, you, you mentioned obviously that the stadium is sort of falling apart, um, but they've they spent roughly a, a billion. At, in over you know, the space of a decade. Um, no. is, is, is it just how the money's spent more than anything else? They haven't, they haven't spent a cent. Sent for their own money. And I, and I don't expect them to do that. I don't, they don't have to do that at Manchester United because we make our own money. We make enough money to be able to compete at the very top and that's never been in question. I think that that money has been restrained from the club. They've been taking out savage dividends every year. You know, look at last season, it was our worst season in Premier League history. 
and they're taking out this money. Like I said, I'm not expecting, we don't need a sugar daddy to come into Manchester United. It seems to be run properly. And for the past 17 years, we've had our pants absolutely pulled down. Because you look at United and in this current model, what they're trying to do is get into that top four to be in the Champions League until the Super League may come around the corner. That's what they're all pushing for, including your owners. Um, so be wary of that. And I think Liverpool fans, I'll get on to it in a second, I think Liverpool fans should be a lot more wary of their owners than what they're showing on social media because they're the very same kind of snakes as our ones. Um, but with the Glazers, they've pulled their pants down for years. United fans have been warning since way before 2005 about them, warned the government, warned the Premier League, the owners like this shouldn't be allowed into English football. And we've seen with the Todd Bowley thing at Chelsea that there was an anti-Glazer clause. So maybe they're eventually waking up to that now. But what the Glazers have done is they've just run United into being this club that will try to get into the top four. When we are in the top four, they cut back on spending because I think that's enough. And we eventually fall back into the Europa League. Now, the difference this summer is they're not really spending like that. They haven't really backed a new manager. You know, net spend, I think, right now is at 40 million or 50 million after signing Martinez. You know, they got, they got 10 million or 12 million for Pereira. They signed Malasia for quite cheap. Ericsson came in on a free. This isn't really a club, is it, that looks to you guys that is going to be competing with you, Liverpool or Man City. There was a quite a big gap last season. You know, and this is Manchester United we're talking about. They've just hired a fantastic up-and-coming coach in Eric Ten Hag, who's got a wonderful CV and wants to play football the right way. The way in which they backed him is an absolute disgrace. And it leads to, to the way some of my coverage was with Oli and the next manager who, who, who they'll bring in after they sack Ten Hag. It's an impossible job. And it was only ever achievable under the best manager we ever had. And there's none of them coming around anytime soon. No, absolutely. They're, they're certainly in short supply at the moment. Dale, thank you so much again for coming on the Empire of the Cop podcast. Always thank a pleasure on. to have you on. It'll be very interested to see how the game pans out. Just just quickly, what, if I had to push you for a scoreline, um, what are you suspecting at the minute? One all. One all? Yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. All right, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see if that comes true again, Dale. Thank you very much. And just before you head off, you, you got any pluggables for us? Uh, anything interesting happening at the moment? Stretchy news you'd like to share? Yeah, well, if you, if your listeners want to follow me, I won't give you the Stretchy news Twitter. You might want to follow my account. Um, I'll try not to put up any too, too many anti scouse tweets, but it's at uh, O'Donnell Dale, um, and I'll try to give you a follow back if you can have the laugh. Absolutely, absolutely, lovely stuff. Thanks again. Nice one. Thank you.